I love telling people what to do. All right, no. Um, actually, we, we just talked about that, but somehow we miscommunicated, which is, which is kind of what my weekend was uh, uh, over these last few days. But before I forget, um, last week we pointed out just kind of abstractly that it was Bill's uh, birthday today. Is, is it John's today? John, who's running away in the back here. But when you see uh, John, I think he went to get a coloring book for... Uh, uh, well, anyway, um, so you got to say something to John. It's his birthday. Say, happy birthday, John. Happy birthday, John. All right, all right. <laughs> well, welcome to uh, the first uh, Sunday of Advent, uh, the arrival coming. Uh, um, Matt did a great job uh, sharing about one of the names of Jesus. And really, we put together this booklet. Uh, it was put together by staff, and particularly a person on staff, uh, my wife uh, put this all together, and if you really want to have a meaningful Christmas, it's all about how uh, you really focus on the person of Christmas, which is Jesus. And so there's a lot of various ways to do that. We're going to be trying to do that through our public worship during the, the summer. I'm done the summer, but uh, oh, my mind is some many maze. Okay, is uh, this the, in December, but really there is no better way than to think about who Jesus is, and this is a great step to do so. Uh, in fact, uh, extra credit, you know, that I kind of like to urge you to memorize passages out of God's Word. Uh, we're, we're, we might come up with some kind of prize for all those who memorize every single name of Jesus that we give you in that booklet. And even as, even as Matt was sharing about Alpha and Omega, I thought we could just keep talking about that today. And it would be a great way to prepare our hearts for what is coming, the arrival, and thinking about it even for today, because it's really how you focus on Jesus that just changes everything about your life, to think that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He was the one who is and was and is to come. If you think about it, he's from A to Z. Everything that Matt's shared is so powerful for us to reflect upon. So I urge you, uh, here's the assignment, is it begins uh, December 1st, which I think is that Thursday. That's Thursday, so every day read part of that, read together part of it as a family, or if you're an individual unit within your family, uh, reflect upon it, think about it that day, and uh, commit that to memory. Just give me the first five to begin with. Uh, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. And you get those five down, and you got the first five, and then you'll have 20 more to go. So uh, anyway, so let's look to the Lord in prayer as uh, we share together today. Father, thank you for today. And uh, we just pray as we meet that you might really uh, make an impact in our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, this morning, uh, I had a number of people ask me uh, or say to me, it's good to see you. It's good that you showed up today. And I don't know why they said that, but it had a little bit more meaning with the backstory of that. We celebrated Thanksgiving up at Lake Arrowhead, and we had read the reports that it was supposed to snow on Saturday. But when we were up there on Thursday and Friday, it was just perfect weather. Uh, Saturday morning, it was perfect weather. Went out for a jog and a bike ride, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And so we're thinking, okay, we got it easy to get down the hill. So the, the Thanksgiving meal was, you don't need to know all that backstory, was kind of a big event on, on Saturday, yesterday. And so the meal didn't really begin till 3, and it started hailing at 3.15. And we're thinking, you know, this could be a little bit more difficult to get down the hill. But we thought, oh, we've probably got 45 minutes, so we decided we're going to try to lead around 4. Well, by that time, the hail turned to snow, and it was coming down heavy. But you're thinking, well, you know, the pastor, he prepares for everything. So before I went, I made sure we got, had chains, our chains in our vehicle. Uh, and as I was putting the chains in our vehicle, I was thinking, yeah, I wonder if these are the right 
change for this vehicle. We got a number of vehicles, and I, I thought, well, the last time I used it was with this vehicle. So, you know, last use, first out, or whatever. I thought, well, these have got to be the right ones. Well, I put them in my vehicle, and I'm thinking, you know, I just, they don't seem to be the right ones, but I didn't check. And so when we needed the chains to get out, they were not the right chains. So I said, well, that's okay. So we'll go ahead and we'll just buy some chains up here. Well, even though that's a place where they sell chains all the time, they didn't get their shipment in, and so there was no place to find chains. So, so uh, my all my family was up there. Other than Mark, he's in Ohio. He had a for he has a Christmas party for his the business he involved in, and um, and his family the family for Lori is back there. So everybody was up there, and they said, "Oh, this is going to be awesome. We'll just have a snow day on Sunday." And they said, well, they won't really mind if you don't show up, right, Mike? And so, uh, Dad, or whatever they called me at that time. And, and so, uh, I'm thinking, you guys would be brokenhearted if I wasn't here, right? <laughs> and they say, they can do without you. Yeah, they can do without me. But, but anyway, so uh, we were talking about that. And a couple of the, well, the, the man that uh, uh, my daughter married is a fireman, and his brother's a fireman. And so, we were talking about that. I said, well, do you ever get snow days? You know, he, and... Uh, he said, well, you know, he, one of them has become a teacher now. He said, as a teacher, we get snow days all the time. If it gets heavy, you know, the kids get to stay home. But when I was a fireman, I never got a snow day. Because if it was a snow day uh, that I was supposed to be prepared that it was going to snow, and I said, well, yeah, you have a four-wheel drive and change. He said, but where I live, the four-wheel drive and the chains aren't enough. Because of the, uh, whatever the thing of the, well, you get the idea. Okay, so that was, um. <laughs> So, uh, so he said, so what do you have to do? He says, you have to shovel it out. I said, well, how much do you have to shovel? I'm thinking about a little driveway. You know, the, what, what's the word for the, uh, the grade, the grade of the driveway. I mean, I, I speak for a living, so words just come to me just like that. Okay, so, so the grade of the, of the, the driveway, and I'm thinking, you know, it's a driveway maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet, maybe 10 yards. He says, no, I've got to shovel 150 to 200 yards of snow. Because of just, it's like a road, his driveway, and where they're at. I said, well, how long does it take you to do that? He says, I'm, uh, it says two hours. So if I have to be there at five, I have to get up there at three, and I'm shoveling for two hours to get out. And so I was thinking, well, if he doesn't get a snow day working for the fire department, as a pastor, I shouldn't get a snow day missing Sunday. So uh, make, uh, I won't give you the long story short because it's, it would still take too much time, and my message is way too long already, is uh, we got out on the second wave of snow and uh, got through, and we made it back. So anyway. <laughs> but as I was thinking about that this morning, I, uh, not only was I thinking about, you know, you can easily um, understand how Scripture uh, just comes true in your own life. In James chapter 5, it says, Come now, you who say, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, you who say today or tomorrow we will come down from Lake Arrowhead to be there on Sunday. Uh, yeah, verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow or the day you're trying to get down. And your life is just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, we think that we can be in control. And you know, a lot of times, I mentioned you, I, I like to be in control. And I thought I was in control with the, 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 um, the change that I brought up. I just wasn't quite as, as much in control as I thought I was. And, and really, they thought up there that we were going to be leaving plenty of time to get down before it would stick on the, on, the, on the highway. But it came down a lot faster than they had anticipated. And all of a sudden, we were in a dilemma. And among other things, what it does, it, it allows you to think that, that 
it just brings you back to the reality. As you enter into the season, and, and many of you, as you enter into the season, it's filled with great joy, but also for some of you it's great sorrow because things have happened this last year that were out of your control. And even as you're anticipating what is coming, you're going to be having Christmases with people that you really care about that are not going to be there. And even as you're looking at that, if it's not people that in your life, it, it's maybe some other issues in your life. Maybe it's, it's, your, it's your job or your vocation or it's, or it's maybe your other parts of your health that's maybe not terminal, but it's affecting how you live. Or, or, or maybe there's some relational breakups that are just causing just sadness in this. And as we, just as we end a Thanksgiving season in which we are called to be thankful and grateful, you're challenged by that. And as we think about the Christmas season, we need to understand that Jesus came into a world that was not filled with all the glitter of lights and everyone singing songs. Isn't it interesting how we, in our culture, the day after Thanksgiving, there, or in fact, it was the day of Thanksgiving. Well, for us, it was the day of Thanksgiving because we celebrate on Saturday. But there was uh, Christmas music everywhere on the radio. But that's not what happened when Jesus came. And even as we think about Thanksgiving in this particular part of our, our experience, many times people have to be thankful by faith. And really, in reality, what James wrote into a group of people in that first century, he was talking to people that were, were not filled with natural joy or happiness because they had experienced life to its, its fullness because of the circumstances they were in. They, they had been dispersed because of the persecution of others related directly to what they believed. And with this, what he really speaks into their lives is, I want you to have a faith, but I want you to have a faith that really, really shows. Because that's, that's the only way you're going to know whether that faith is real. A, a true faith shows. Now, when I was preparing this message, I, I was preparing it initially in, in one way, and then I was going to prepared in another way, and then I got schizophrenic and did it both ways, and, and then what happened is that as I was beginning to really reflect about how I was going to present it, I was going to realize this was going to be like some of the Thanksgiving dinners I've been at where there's, there's more food out there to eat than you can eat, and not only because of, of the volume of it, because of the variety of it, and there's too many... You can sample just the desserts. How many different pies can people make? Well, they make a lot of them, and I like to try all of them. You know, or, or do I eat the dark meat or the white meat? Or do I, how much of the potatoes do I eat? How much of the you know the veg? Well, I don't eat that many vegetables, but you know whatever it might be. There's too many things out there, and even if you just sample, you you just you can't eat. There's too much to eat, and then when you do eat too much. You, you, you feel the next day, right? Well, today is going to be a Thanksgiving banquet because I'm going to share with you a, a variety of different things. And I, I'm going to try to, to connect the two ways I was going to preach. We're going to look at two verses at the end of the message, which is the last shot James has at his people. And James was like the book of Proverbs. He'd go from one theme to the next. There was a thread there, but he, was, he, he ends with a couple verses that are, are rather rather challenging and confronting to his listeners then as well as to us now. But if, if I were to somehow try to connect message title with both things I want to try to do today, I would say this. God, God wants us to care enough to connect to, to him and to people that our, faith, that our faith would show. And we would help other people's faith to show as well. Because we need to realize whenever we 
are together, which, whether it's corporately on a Sunday or in a small group or as we meet people throughout the, the week in various one-on-one experiences uh, uh, in our homes or just out in the community. Most often, we, we are concerned about how life is treating us. Isn't that true? I mean, I wasn't worried about other people getting down the mountain last night. I was worried about us getting down or me getting down the mountain last night. And it's kind of it's kind of humbling to realize how self-centered we can be. And, and sometimes we do that with church. We think, well, you know, it's what did I get out of church today? You know, wh- what is it doing for me? And if we broaden a little bit, we'll say, well, what is it doing for my you know, immediate family or my closest friends. And, and that's good. We're broadening a little bit. But, but we need to realize that God's call for us, and, and there are levels of relationships and responsibilities, and I don't want to eliminate that truth. But, but, but we come to, to church, or we do church, we are the church, not only for ourselves, but for others as well. You know, the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the coming together, as some people do, but do it, why? So that you might be a source of encouragement to others. And so as we look at that, this passage, or the, actually this book, we've been in this book of James for months now, and we're going to actually finish it today, Lord willing. We're going to kind of give an overview of the entire book, and I'm going to try to kind of weave in some of the verses that we encourage you to memorize. But really the message is pretty simple in James. He, he wants us to have true faith, and that true faith to show and then as he ends this book, he says, not only do I want your faith to be true and to show, I want you to, have, I want you to be a, an agent of God to help other people's faith to be, first of all, true and not be deceived by that which is false. But, you, but we are responsible for other people's faith to, to help them and encourage them and bring them back when they stray. So with that somewhat as a kind of a connection of the two major things we're going to try to do, make even an overview of the entire book, then also just kind of finish up the last couple verses that tells us that we have a responsibility not only for ourselves but for others as well. Well, What is true faith? True faith is, is that which has a true connection with the living God. But as James writes, how do you know if you've got that true connection to the living God? And basically his message, well, it's going to show on the outside. How do you know you have something on the inside? Well, it should reflect on some way, in some way on, in ways on the outside. And so, so James hammers this in, in so many different ways. And so if you have your outline this morning, we're going to try to illustrate that. And I, I, I did put some in my, in my pocket. Now, as Bill has come on staff, he is, he is the king of object lessons and everything else. But here, here's, my, here's my one object lesson. It doesn't compare to his. But... As you think about this tree, and some of you might have noticed what it was like when you first came in, but if, you, if you're looking at it from where you're at, you're wondering, I wonder if that tree has any lights on it, because you might not be able to see the little lights that are on there. And so how would you know if it has lights? You'd have to wait till somebody did what? You know, turn it on. And in reality, that's how, that's how it is with us. And usually kind of the double analogy is, how, how do people know that we have the light of Christ in our lives? Because the light inside our lives is shown on the outside. And so that's, that's what James is just pleading with his, 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 his uh, readers and, and those who are listening it to be listening it being read. Is I, I want your, your faith to show on the outside. Well, how will it look, however, when it shows on the outside? And this is what James does in five chapters. And in chapter 1, basically what he says, and among other things, and he, and he, hits, he hits the pavement running. 
says hello in the first, in the first verse, and then beginning in chapter 2, and I mean, verse 2 and 3, he begins just to hammer what it means. If our faith is real, and it shows, it will show in our response to trials and temptations. When, when things don't go right, how do we respond as God's people? And it doesn't mean we're not going to struggle and wrestle with our attitude. I was wrestling with my attitude a little last night when we didn't quite get down the hill. And I was so wishing it was Alice who put the chains in our car, not me who put the chains in our car, so I could have blamed her rather than me. Yes, that's who I am. That's who I am, you know. Uh, but, you know, as you think about it, you know, James said this. He says, look it, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials. But knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, which is the wisdom to be able to do that, have joy when things don't go right. But if any of you lacks wisdom, getting God's perspective on life when you have only your own perspective on life. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. So how does our faith show? It shows in our response to when things don't go right. And even when we are the cause of those things not going right, can we turn to God and see that God is still working in our lives, making us better on the inside that will show on the outside? But also what he says, not only in our response to trials and temptation, it's also in our obedience to God's word. And you might remember this very simple verse, uh, James chapter 1, verse, I think it's 22, he says, but prove yourself doers of the word. And not mere, merely hearers who delude themselves. And, and sometimes we, we can fall into that. And, and we, uh, at least that's the passion of my, my heart for our church, that we are very much a Bible-centered church, that we really value this book. And we, we think it's so valuable that we want to spend time in it to understand it and to, to, to see its implications and its applications, understand more about who God is and who we are, because that will transform our lives. But it does not transform our lives if we simply think that it's simply a matter of hearing it. Because the passion of our heart must be, we, we, we prove it by, by doing it. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And, and so as we think about our, our true faith showing, it shows in our response to trials and temptations, our obedience to God's word. And it's also true because it, it's demonstrating our controlling our tongue. But not only controlling our tongue, but also understanding that we are to be compassionate, be compassionate to people in need. And not only that, God is concerned about what kind of vessel we're walking in. Is, is it living a clean life that shows that, that we believe that we have someone who is pure and right and righteous, and that's how he wants us to live? Now, when you think about that, James was pretty straightforward in, in just challenging his people. He said, if, if any among you thinks he is religious, and here he's using religion in a positive term, if any one of you think that what you're doing really is, has a positive impact, if anyone of you thinks he's religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So God is concerned very pointedly that we, we show our faith by what comes out of our mouth. Now later on, and we won't dissect that portion again, but he says, you know, really, uh, taming the tongue is almost near impossible. It can only be done by the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the children of God for us to make measurable progress and taming that little thing that's in our mouth that can either bring hope or 
or despair to people's lives. So, so he says it very plainly that, that we need to tame our tongue. If, if, if we don't, our, our religion is worthless. But then he goes on. It's not just simply taming our tongue. God wants us to be active in how we live out our faith. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God is this, that, that you would visit widows and orphans in their distress. Now, he wasn't simply saying that's the only type of ministry Christians ought to have, but he's saying this, that when you see people in need, when you see people who, who could be lifted up and you can care for them in demonstrative ways, then that's who we are. I mean, John said that all the time in, in his letter uh, in 1 John. He said, look at it. How can you say you love God if you don't love the people around you? And then he goes on and says, and, and keep yourself unstained by the world. So our faith ought to show because our response to trials and temptations, our faith ought to show because our obedience to God's word, our faith ought to show because we care about what comes out of our mouth, we, we do want to care compassionately about people in need, and we, we definitely want to, to live a life that's unstained and is clean in a world that's not. But James goes on in chapter 2, and he says, okay, I, I want to hit you up again in terms that your faith ought to show. And he says this uh, in James chapter 2, verse 1, he says... Um, my brethren, let us not hold our faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So again, he, he begins to say, look, if, if you want to show you have a relationship with God, then it ought to be shown in, how, in your relationship with people. Not only people in need, but also just people who might be on different levels of the social you know, stratosphere. You know, how, how, do you, how do you care about people that other people don't care about? Do you demean some people because they, they don't look a certain way or act a certain way? Do you, do you, have, do you value some people because of whatever uh, you're uh, enamored with? He says, look, don't, don't have a, a sense of personal favoritism. And that's both with the rich and the poor. Is that we ought to look at people how God looks at people. He, he blesses some people in some ways and some people aren't blessed in, the, in that exact way. But we care about people because God cares about people. But then again, he, he says, I, I want to make sure you understand that your faith, your true faith has to, have, has to show. And so in, in a lot of different ways in chapter 2, he, he says some things that cause us to recognize, again, it's got to result in our action. In James chapter 2, verse 17, he says this, Even so, if your faith is without works, being by itself, it's, it's dead. So there he even raises up the... The, the challenge, if you, if you have a faith that does not show by its actions, by its works, by its deeds, you need to question whether that faith is a reality. Well, in chapter 3, he goes back to taming the tongue, and he says it's like a fire that can just destroy people and everything around itself. But then he goes on and says, okay, I, I want you to understand... You know, I, I began the book telling you if, if you really need wisdom, you can ask of God. He'll give to you all the wisdom you need. And wisdom is not only responding to life's trials and temptations in a way that, that uh, God is guiding you. He says it's, it's, it's also in how you do it. So he asks the question, is there, in James chapter 3, verse 13, is any among you wise and understanding? And then he answers his own question. Let him show by his good behavior, his good deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom. And so it's not only are we doing the wise thing, but when we do the wise thing, are, are we bringing attention to ourselves, or is there a gentleness about it? In chapter 4, 
and we just uh, spent the last couple months in chapter 4 and chapter 5, he goes on there and says, okay, again, I want to describe to you what true faith that shows looks like. And, and he gives a promise, but God gives a greater grace, which is greater than anything you're going through. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the, to the humble. And, and that's what's so awesome about our God is that, you know, who, who can approach God? Well, on our own merits, none of us can, can but if we come to him in humility... We, re, we are received with open arms and open hands. And, and so God wants us to experience his grace, his enabling power to live out the life that's impossible to live on your own in a way that impacts the lives of pe- other people in a caring, loving way. And you can receive that greater grace if you simply come to him not in, in pride but with humility. But if we come to God in humility, the, the natural result of that will come to God w- with a submissiveness to his will and to his his guidance in our life. And in James chapter uh, 4, it also says this, Submit therefore to God, resist the evil one, the devil, and he will flee from you. And then finally in chapter 5, and we just finished uh, a series in chapter 5, God says to us, well, okay, is there anything else you want from me? Well, in the midst of this struggle and this journey, and sometimes this journey is a lot more difficult than we think it is because uh, we would anticipate it to be because of the challenges in our life. He says, you too be patient. When you're going through times where you feel like all you're experiencing is not the, not the joys that this world seems to offer, but the suffering that's found in this world, it says, you too be patient, which has the idea of being willing to, to suffer long. And, and why? Because you need to understand that, that this life is so short and compared to eternity. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So that's James uh, Challenging us to care enough to connect, connect to him, so that our life, our lives, will show. But what is the challenge for us in terms of helping other people's lives to show? A true faith that's real and evidential. Well, that's what James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 is all about. And I have those two verses in your um, outlines this morning. And James ends his letter rather rapidly with these statements. He says, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, if that's not a mouthful and just two statements, ending statements of the letter, what happened? Just uh, hope to see you later. Hope you have a great week or Christmas or whatever. He just he ends with that. Well, that's a challenge for us to look, again, that our Christian life is to be personal, uh, but it, ha- it ought to have a public face to it. Our, our walk with God needs to be one in which we are endeavoring to do everything that we can to follow him, but we are, we are compassionate for the needs of others, and particularly not only those in need physically or emotionally, but spiritually. And so the two simple points I have for this is that as we think about caring enough to connect, connecting with people around us, connect with those who have strayed and connect with those who can be saved. Um, some of you know a little bit of my history. When I go um, on an adventure on my own, let's say, on a hike, that sometimes I don't quite get back to the same destination at, at the expected time. And so I've 
They've made some restrictions on me, those who are in my life, that say I can't do certain things. But, but I was up in Lake Arrowhead. There are certain, certain defined trails, so I was able to go jogging on my own, and they did not have too much fear. And I, I wanted to share this story because it puts me in a, in a better light. Because uh, as, I was, as I was jogging, I actually had some people in the community came up to me and said, well, do, do you live here? We, we got some questions. We're kind of, we're kind of lost. I go, yeah, I never get lost. I'll tell you how to get here. <laughs> well, actually... They, they were, they, their family was walking from the village, and they wanted to walk around the, the lake. And I don't think they realized just how long a hike that would be if you went through every place. It would be about a 10-mile hike. But uh, if you're right by the, the lake, it's a little bit shorter than that. So they were right by the lake, and they had gone to the end of where uh, one part of the hike was. And they were saying, can, can we not have to double back? Can we go around? where it picks up and I said well I've been down that path and it ends before you get back to the village and see so, sometimes uh, people are in a, in a place where it's, it's rather new to them and, and they don't know where this trail is going to lead and, and they don't know where they're going to end up and, and we need to understand that, that that's true not only in a physical way but it's, it's also true in a spiritual way and sometimes after a while, you can convince yourself that what is not true is true. You ever done that? I think I know where I'm at. I, 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 think, I think I know what's over that hill. I think if I just do this, I'll get back to where I was. I've been there many times, many more times than I should be, all right? And, and I've been there so many times that let, let me, I, I'm not the, the typical man. When I'm lost, I don't care who I ask. I'm always asking for directions. The only problem with me, sometimes I'm in places where there's no one to ask, all right? But, but you know, if I get lost, it's, it's the worst feeling. But it's not a bad feeling until I, I know I am lost because I keep thinking. I'm the eternal optimist. I'm going to make it on my own. I'm going to make it. And as James has been pleading with the group at large to have a faith that shows, he says, I want you to understand it's not just me that ought to be helping and warning people who have gone down the wrong direction or think if they keep going the same path they're on, they'll get there. You need to realize I, I'm not just me, but God's empowering you to be the people who come alongside others who are going astray. Let's just look at this real quickly. He says, My brethren, if any among you strays among the truth and one turns him back, and we're going to realize that he's talking about someone who's going to see someone who is strayed. And the word stray there has the idea of just getting off the wrong um, path or getting on the wrong, uh, off the right path and getting on the wrong path. And it really comes from a, a word that means that you could be uh, deceived in, in error of what you're doing. And he says, I want you to understand that that's, that's something that you ought to have your antennas alert to, people who are, who are going off the path. The Bible describes the path as being a straight and narrow way. And if you've ever tried to, straight, to stay on a straight and narrow way, it's easy to get off that straight and narrow way. And, and so we need to be concerned about each other when we see us falling down the wrong path. And then he says this, well, connect with those who can be saved. Because you, you, it's, it's pretty discouraging when you're trying to help people who don't want your help. And, and sometimes it's, it's a process and it's a, it's a journey. And you need to realize that not everyone you try to help will take your help. But there are those who will. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death. And will cover a multitude of sins. 
Now, the family, they were going down the wrong path, and they asked the question. I said, well, you better just turn around if you want to get back to those two little kids. They're probably not going to make it. If you have, even if you find the end of that path and have to make, retrace your steps. You know, I felt pretty good because I, I helped them from what they could have experienced because I had gone down that path before. But some people you talk to, you talk to them and they, they just, they give you a deaf ear. They don't want to listen to the instructions you're giving them. But what is hopeful, what is helpful is that to realize you are going to rescue some. You might not rescue all of them, but you'll, you'll rescue some. Now, the theological debate in this particular passage, is he talking about true Christians that have strayed? Or is he talking about people who have just professed a faith? In other words, they, they say they know God. They say they know Jesus. But they really don't. And, and you're desperately trying them to understand, look at because you've been in a church, because you maybe even stood up in a meeting and, and prayed a prayer, that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Because if, if your light is not shining... How can you know you really got the real thing? And I really think the application is for both. Whether it's a believer that is strayed and you want to bring them back into the fold, or a person who just thinks they're saved and you want to bring them back in their fold, he said, look it, people are going down the wrong path, and if you care about them, do what you can to bring them back. But you might ask yourself, well, how, how am I supposed to do that? Well, let me, let me give you just a few things on how you do it, and then we'll, we'll finish this morning. Because in reality, you need to understand, in fact, I almost entitled this message, Caring Enough to Connect. connect. Others have, have taken the, the idea of, of trying to go to people to point out areas in their life that, that are, are dangerous. It's, it's care enough to confront. But, you know, it's not an easy thing to be a confronter. Because if, if they don't like the message, they won't just attack the message, they'll attack the what? The messenger. And, and you need to realize, even if you do all four of these things that I'm going to share with you, even if you do it in the exact best way possible, you will sometimes be attacked because you're, you're somehow, in their mind, presenting yourself as someone holier than them and, 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 and better than them. And that's not your heart if you do it right. You're just trying to Help people not to be lost. But how, how are we doing? You can do it in the wrong way. I've done it in the wrong way. Where does it begin? Well, it's, it's pretty straightforward. First of all, you, you need to do it with love. If, if someone in your life is going down the wrong path, and, and you can just see what's going to happen if they keep going down that path, your, your immediate response is you just want to shake them. You, you want to do everything you can to just drive what you are filled with conviction about into their mind, into their life. And, and you need to realize it might come from the right place, but if you do it in the wrong way, it will not be heard. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, uh, that love covers a multitude of sins. Well, it, it's got to begin with love. If they, if they don't really believe that you care, they're not going to listen. In Galatians chapter 6, it, it kind of gives a little bit more of a flavor of what it means. It says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one who's gone astray with the spirit of gentleness. Because I could say I'm loving that person when I'm doing it, but if, if it doesn't come across that way, then I need to realize, well, how, how would it come across that? Well, how gentle am I when I'm first approaching them? 
they see it's breaking my heart as much as, as I see what they're doing is going to break God's heart. So when you see someone going down the wrong path in all love and sincerity and gentleness, try to bring them back. Secondly, you need to do it with integrity. Uh, probably one of the more familiar passages in God's Word is in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, Do not judge lest you to be judged. There's not a period there in, in the terms that goes on. He says the, the real point in verses 2 through 5 uh, is, is this. He says, now, if, if you're going to help someone and you see something wrong in their life and they've got a speck in their eye, uh, be sure that when you get that speck out of their eye, you've dealt with the, the two-by-four, the piece of lumber, the log that is in your eye. You know, I haven't told you recently that I have a grandchild. Okay, yeah. I have two grandchildren, right? And I wasn't with them at Thanksgiving. Uh, but right before I went to Thanksgiving, I said, well, I'm going to spend some time with Hannah. So I took her to the park, and she loves to go to the park. And she is their whole routine for her, okay? And uh, when you first get her there, it's, it's so funny. I mean, this is, this is going to sound very chauvinist, but she's a little girl, all right? So she goes, Papa, carry me. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't put my feet in the sand. I'm thinking... Okay, well, anyway, so I carry her, put her on the swing, and we swing. So, but as soon as she gets off the swing, now she's running, like, nonstop in the sand, right? Okay, so sand does not bother. But when you first get there, you know, somehow the sand is too, you know, whatever. So, but this last time I went, well, she got sand in her eyes, okay? You know, and, you know, it's, if you would ask her, does she want the sand out of her eyes? Of course she did. You know, brought pain, she couldn't see as well. It's not that sand doesn't need to get out of someone's eye, but you, you don't have, want someone who's got a law who can't see as well as a person who has got sand in their eyes trying to do surgery, pouring water or whatever might be on the eye. And that's really all it's saying. When you see someone doing something you don't think is right, make sure that you're not doing certain things that are even more not right when you try to help them. Do it with integrity. And since none of us are perfect... Uh, as you're helping that person, you might even tell them, look, I want you to know my life's not perfect. I struggle in these areas. But I see something in your life that's really going to bring damage. So how, how do we approach someone who's, who has gone astray and to bring them back and to realize, look, if you do it, you're going to save their soul. And the idea of the soul is all of who they are, not just physical part, all of who they are. You're going to save him from death. And the death here is probably not physical death. The idea here is death, which is separation from God. We've got to do it with love. We've got to do it with integrity. You've got to do it with prayer. Now, we're not going to turn to this passage because it would take me too long to try to explain it. But he says, he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, there's a lot of verses on prayer. But he says, you know, there is a sin leading to death. And he said, but if there is a sin not leading to death... You know, request of God and go to that person so that that sin that's not leading to death now might not lead to a sin that's leading to death. Which has the idea, pray about this because you can still rescue some people. And you can rescue them now if you'll, if you'll just move out. But we never talk to, to people about God before we talk to God about people. So bathe it not only with a commitment to love and integrity, but pray before you talk with people. But then finally, not only do it with love, with integrity, with prayer, but do it with a warning. Now, you, might, you don't begin here necessarily, but, but there is, there's a price tag from going astray. 
And, and there's the, the price tag that you pay, and you, there's a price tag that people that care about you pay as well. And all of us who have people in our family or close to us that have gone astray, it just, it's just heartbreaking. There's a, there's a warning. In Galatians chapter 6, we won't turn to all these passages. You know, it's that familiar passage um, that you're going to reap what you what? What you sow. I mean, that's just, that's just a human analogy that's so obvious. You know, you know, what you, you know garbage in, garbage what? Garbage out. And, and as we think about it, whether it's if I eat too much on Thanksgiving, I'm going to feel it the next day, right? And, and that's true spiritually as well. We, we're going to reap what we sow. But in Matthew 18, there are present consequences. And, and this, is, this is the challenge that has to be done with love and with integrity and with prayer and also warning. But it's, it's the same idea that James closed with that Jesus shared with his disciples about people that have gone astray. If your brother sins, verse 15 in chapter 18, uh, go and, and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or th- three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Because sometimes we can confront people based on rumor or things that we're not aware of, but let's make sure the facts are the facts. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, tell it to the, the body of Christ and have them plead with him as well. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be to you as a tax as a gentle and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And really you want to, the context of this, this passage that often is used out of context. Verse 19, 20, Again I say to you that if two or three agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my fathers in heaven. For two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And this is not simply, I mean, it has a broader application, but the, the context I'm, I'm with you, if there are two or three are gathered, is in, the, is in the context of confronting people who have gone astray or trying to bring people astray back and realizing we have the authority to, to say, you know, the consequence, if you're not going to walk like a believer, then don't put on a facade. You know, you, you need to, to just go out in the world and, Reap the consequences of not being in the family of God until you realize that this is the only way you connect with God. But there are even graver consequences, and this would be particularly to a person that maybe has professed faith but doesn't really possess faith. In Matthew chapter 7, to me, the, the, the strongest words of Jesus in probably any other, of any place in God's word, Matthew 7, beginning with verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And everyone who just says, Jesus, Jesus, or Jesus is my Savior, is, is not necessarily part of God's family, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So as we, as we think about the message of James that we've been studying over the last number of months, it, it really is a message that's so practical because it speaks about uh, how we ought to speak, how we ought to respond to people in need, 
how we ought to live lives that live lives that honor him. It, it talks about how we see people as Jesus sees them. It talks about what true wisdom is. It's, it's pure, it's reasonable, it's, it's unselfish. We do nothing from selfish ambition. But, but, but there's a greater purpose as we connect with God to live out our faith, but it's not only for our own faith to grow and, and demonstrate light in a world filled with darkness. But it's also to be on commission to say, we need to care enough about people just as God cared enough about us as he saw us astray. He sent his son to touch down into our lives. So as we think about people in our relational world, our oikos, people that, that maybe make a, made a profession in the past but don't seem to be living it out, or, or people in our relational world that, that are just struggling spiritually, that we are called to go out and care enough about people to, to get into their lives with love and integrity and with prayer urging them to come back to the one who cares for them. That's why Jesus left the throne of glory. So that we might see the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, who is the A to Z. He doesn't need anything, but he wanted us to be part of his eternal family. How much do we care? Let's pray together. Father, if I've wrestled with this powerful little book in the New Testament. For my own lives, it's brought back so many humbling messages and truths that I need to learn and relearn and continue to apply, not, not for just my own sake, but for the sake of others around me. And Father, there might be someone here this morning that knows a lot about you but doesn't know you. And Father, the only way you experience your grace is to humbly come to you and say, we desperately need your grace. If anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And Father, I would, I would just pray, anyone here that doesn't know you, might they admit their need and their sin and confess it to you? Might they believe, fully trust that, that your son Jesus died on the cross for them and rose again? Might they today make a commitment to follow Jesus as their Lord, their leader, their God, and their Savior? Might they with us continue and get on the journey of just humbly trying to follow you. And follow any of us this morning that maybe we've walked astray, even as Christians, might we say, Lord, I, I don't want to keep going down that path. I want to turn from anything that's unpleasing to you. I want to give my life fully and completely and wholeheartedly to you. Help me live the life You've called me to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.